Hello and welcome to the Old Time Radio Forever broadcast. I'm your host, Matt Perry. Join us weekly as we explore the golden era of American radio through the dramas, westerns, mysteries, and comedies that shaped the golden age. Be sure to give us a thumbs up or a five-star review on all of the podcast directories that you may use. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Old Time Radio Forever. This week, we go back to the 1960s. Gene Shepard, the longtime radio recontour from WOR New York, known for his writings and his radio program, Gene Shepard has left an indelible mark on American pop culture. The author of In God We Trust and All Others Pay Cash, along with other novels, were the basis for the holiday classic, The Christmas Story. If you've never heard Gene's radio program, you're in for a treat. Every night, without a script, Gene would recount tales of growing up in the Midwest, as well as everyday life in the 1960s. Tonight, an episode simply titled, Hippo on Old Time Radio Forever. things I like about the post-holiday time is it's a relief when it's over, right? You know, it's like getting rid of a minor operation. Did you ever have a minor operation? They always say in the news, minor operation. What does that mean? Cutting your fingernails or something? <laughs> hey, when you stop to think about it, the, uh, cutting your fingernails is a surgical operation. It is. Getting your hair cut. The surgical operation. Isn't it? Of course. Why well, don't you get your hair cut? No, not you, George. Yeah, yeah. 
treasure. It's like a giant Brillo pad with feet. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's not bad. Hey, you know, uh, speaking of, uh, of uh, you know, the holiday scene, I, I, I was very sorry to hear the other day that a guy in Meredith, New Hampshire, and I missed the story. I can't believe I missed the story. I missed this, you know. And uh, it, a couple of days ago, it says John Smith in Meredith, New Hampshire, was afraid to tell police there was a hippopotamus on his porch at 3 o'clock in the morning, see? Well, you heard the story, right? Did you hear about that, Jerry? You didn't hear it either? Well, apparently everybody was talking about it. Where the hell were you? I mean, that was the same place I was, huh? Nowhere. Uh, because I didn't hear the story. <laughs> I mean, I bet some guys just now, someplace in the world, some guys just now hearing that World War II is over. I bet that's true. I, I just wonder, if you took all the people in the world, you know, how many, is it 200 trillion, billion of them? How many people are there anyway? It's the billions anyway. And sometimes when you're down at 23rd Street subway station, you've got to figure there has to be 12 billion, you know, a trillion. I don't know how many skillions. But uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, there has to be somebody in the world right now, well, all the people, who not only doesn't know World War II is over, but didn't know there was a World War II. Now, that sounds hard to believe, doesn't it? Okay. I'll, be I'll bet there are, and, and, and was alive during the time, you know? <laughs> I'll just guarantee you someplace, somewhere, in some country, someplace. Could even be in our country, believe me. I mean, some guy hiding under a rock somewhere up in the Tennessee hills, you know? Been hiding out there since, uh, you know, since he heard about Calvin Coolidge. And uh, he's been hiding ever since. <laughs> he doesn't know, you know. He's got webbed feet, you know. He's got a fin down his back by now, you know. He's beginning to evolve into something else now. He looks like, well, I didn't hear about this hippopotamus. I should have known about this. And in case you didn't hear about the hippopotamus scene, I'm going to lay it on you. Listen to this. This guy, in Merit of all places, Meredith, New Hampshire. Now, wait a minute now. If you if you live in Uganda, you're not going to be too excited. I mean, you may get a little you know, nervous. But you're not going to be surprised if a hippopotamus wanders up, you know, and hangs around the backyard barbecue. But in Meredith, New Hampshire, nevertheless, it says this guy was afraid to tell police that there was one on his porch because he did not believe that anybody would believe him if he called. And furthermore, they would not believe him because of his name, which is John Smith. Well, now, any guy that calls up anybody and says his name is John Smith has got problems right away. You know, that's like Jane Doe or something, you know, calling up. And, and he says, I am about probably, and, and he, I quote him here because he does make a very interesting philosophical point. He says, I guess I'm about the first guy ever to get chased across his own porch at 3 o'clock in the morning in his underwear by a hippopotamus, he said. Now, that's probably a record for at least New Hampshire. That's a first. Might be the 450-pound hippo escaped yesterday from the animal forest park, and uh, you know he was out just you know cooling around looking for another hippo, maybe looking for a little action. You know, when you're a hippo, you don't find many friends, and uh, you know yeah, that's right. <laughs> and you know the first report of a loose hippo came from a resident of Weirs Beach, wherever that is, of Waconia. By the time the police arrived, the hippo was gone. The next call came from poor old Smith who told the sheriff's office, and we quote, there's a strange, vicious animal on my porch. He would not tell him it's a hippo, see? <laughs> he had to hide that. A strange, vicious animal on my porch, and I would like to have him removed. And uh, 
And now, you know, they, they finally came. They took a hippo away. And uh, they, uh, you know, the guy's still a little shattered. You know, you get up in the morning, you hear something thumping around out there, and you figure it's the raccoons again. And, uh, you know, you go out there, and this, this thing, have you ever seen a hippo? Well, you know, I mean, you gotta, you got to be honest about it. You're sitting out there being pretty smart about it, you know. But but the, this, this, this would have to be a shadowing experience because a hippo is kind of... Kind of a, uh, it's a, it's an animal that, the, first of all, he's got a mouth that's roughly the size of a bushel basket. Wouldn't you say right offhand? He's got teeth that look like big tent pegs sticking out. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I, 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 you know, I, I thought about this. I said, well, you know, that's a, that's kind of a, kind of a great scene to, to have a hippo. Now that, now I'll say this now. On the one hand, you have to say that this would be a scary thing to happen. But on the other hand, look at it another way. This is probably the biggest thing that will ever happen in this guy's life. Now, I don't know whether you know much about uh, Meredith, New Hampshire, but not many big things happen in Meredith, New Hampshire. And for, for over, forever now, this guy will be able to talk about the time there was a hippo on his porch. He just laid that out in the party, you know, I was about the time I was a, a hippo. Of course, I'd say by next year this time, there ain't nobody going to believe him there was a hippo on his porch. No way. Just, just like, I mean, it's just like, I can hardly get anybody to believe uh, the, the story that I tell. And you know, I had a great moment the other day speaking of hippos on the porch. A great personal moment happened to me the other day. Now, I have told a story a couple of times on the air, and every time I tell it, I get letters from people who say, all right, okay, all right, smart, yeah, yeah was, you, you just went once too far. You just turned the notch a little too far. How the hell do you expect me to believe that? Well, you phony, I won't, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, I, that's why I don't tell a story. I get embarrassed about it because of what, what, the, what the story's about. Well, I'll tell you what it's about. I'm a kid, say, all right? How about, you know, and we lived in this neighborhood. There's a lot of houses in the neighborhood. There's, some people have this crazy idea that because I lived in the end, I must have lived in the country. At no point did I ever live in my life in the country. Not if you can call the biggest, toughest steel mill town in the, in the world, the country. I mean, that's, you know, that's like calling Newark. Uh, somehow getting Newark uh, vaguely confused with, uh, say, uh, Miami Beach. It's just no way. Uh, two different ball games, you know. And, and, and so I, I'm, we're living in this big steel mill town. You know, there's a thousand houses all over the place and billboards and signs. And you didn't see much in the way of uh, what you could call uh, wildlife. That little wildlife, once in a while, you know, Bruner brings some chick home, and then his wife would get mad and hit him upside the head, and that kind of thing. Yeah, he, I never saw that in my life before again. You know, Bruner got so tanked one night, the guy who lived next door to us, he actually brought this bimbo home from the bar. I mean, brought her right home to, to the house there, and, and he just brought her right up in the house there. And there was his, his wife, Mrs. Bruner, in the kitchen. And he brings this red-headed bimbo in the house, you know. This tomato, and, and, and all of a sudden you hear a lot of yelling, and, and he come popping out the front door like he was shot out of a gun. Followed very quickly by this lady with the red hair. I want to tell you, he was yelling and hollering. I guess he was so tanked he didn't know what he was doing. He never would have done that, you know. You agree? I mean, <laughs> but actually, you know, you could do some bad stuff in drink. I'll tell you, in, in wine there is truth, right? In vino veritas, something like that. Well, see, the true, the true brother was coming out. He was actually, uh, you know, an elegant man about town. We hung around with ladies with red hair. You know, and he brought her right home there. Well, uh, you know, I, I, it was that kind of a neighborhood, see? So you didn't see much in the way of real wild. Oh, I will say, one time, 
one time the, the neighborhood went into a, a state of semi-shock when uh, this uh, very large snowy owl landed in a in a vacant lot back of the house there. We had this vacant lot. There were a lot of tin cans and old beer bottles and stuff there in this vacant lot, you know, old busted up barrels and that stuff and fenders of cars and jazz. And uh, all of a sudden, one afternoon, me and Flick and Schwartz were walking around and and, uh, and I said, what's that over there, Schwartz? He said, I don't know. Said, Who's that? It looked like somebody new had moved in the neighborhood. And it was uh, somebody very short, but new. You know, with funny-looking feet. And uh, we got closer, and there in the gloom was standing in the middle of this vacant lot, knee-deep in, in uh, busted-up beer bottles and stuff, was this fantastic bird. I mean, he must have been about three feet high, and he was absolutely snowy white. Well, it's kind of scary, you know, and, and uh, we ran away, and he flapped away, and he just took off, and he just sort of sailed off into the gloom. And, of course, the word got out very shortly around town, this big owl, this big owl that landed, you know, it's a big owl, big, big eyes, you know. And and uh, we, that was the kind of stuff we'd see one once in a while. But one afternoon, in this old house, now you laugh about this hippo thing, in this old house, uh, there was a down in the middle of the next block. Right? This old, is it time for station break now? Should I do it now? There was this old house when they, you know, in every neighborhood, there was, at that time, anyway, there, there'd be this great, big, fantastic old house was kind of falling apart, see? Uh, it, it, you know, you see a lot of them in, in places like Clifton today, you know, in Jersey. Great big old house with knobs of wood all over the porch, and everything. it's all falling down. And there's a big sign that says for sale. It's been up there, you know, since probably year one. Who's going to buy that old, uh, you know, you couldn't heat that if you set it on fire. And uh, there's a great big old house sitting there. And nobody had lived in this house for a long time. Well, all of a sudden, these people started to move in. There's a lot of trucks out there and these people walking around. And uh, they put a fence up around the whole thing. And it was a lot of people were there. So you couldn't figure what they were. You know, a lot of people had trucks and they had big crates and stuff. And it was on a big lot. The lot was uh, almost like a whole block. I had these trees around it. And uh, we used to walk past the alley. In the in, at night, see, and they had this big garage in the back there, not a three-car garage, and they had boarded it all up, and they had something going on in this garage, but they didn't have cars in it. They something, something was really going on, and and one day, this tremendous truck arrived, and we have to see it, me and Schwartz, tremendous truck, and on the back of it was a thing that looked like it was a zeppelin. I mean, it was a truck that had an enormous tank on the back, but the tank was covered, and they pulled this tank into this. This garage, and watching this thing, you see guys, workmen are walking around, and they've been building something in this garage for some time. You could see the, they were bringing dirt out and bringing bricks in and stuff like that. And we figured they was building a house in the garage, some kind of a crazy thing like that, because they dug a big hole in the ground. We saw they dug a hole right in the floor of the garage. Well, now they moved this truck in. Well, there's, you know, two or three days go by, these guys are working around, and we, we, we couldn't get close to this place. Well, one afternoon, there's nobody around, and, and Schwartz and I and Bruner are walking home down to the alley, right back of the garage, coming home from school, see? And there were windows in the back of the garage, but they were kind of high up. You had to, you had to kind of stand on, on the other guy's shoulders and stuff to look in, see? So we're walking along, and uh, we, 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 put a barrel or something up against the side of this thing and very sneakily so we jumped up on top of looking in there. Have you ever you know the peeping Tom urge is strong. <laughs> and it's it's especially strong at a certain time in your life. Do girls have the urge to I've never heard of a of a peeping Mildred. It's uh 
Uh, I, I'm, I'm very serious. <laughs> I'm just asking that question. Is there any girls out there? Could, could you tell me? Do girls ever have the urge to sneak up and look in somebody's house? I never heard of any doing it. Did you? Well, you know, they probably do, but they never talk much about it. I mean, there's a lot of sneaky people. This is, uh, by the way, that reminds me, W.O.R., New York. And uh, we've, we've got a couple of goodies here. Uh, one of them here is uh, Get Set for Rugged Winter Driving, you know, by laying in a pair of those uh, fantastic general winter cleats. <laughs> yeah, they're the rugged four-rib snow tires. got four ribs. you got more ribs than that, haven't you, George? What's so good about four ribs? Anyway, they got four. Is that good? I don't know. Backed by this promise, you go in snow or general pays the toll. <laughs> and in flushing... Uh, you go see the Flushing General Tire Service and ask for Dick Breivart at 1501 Northern Boulevard. Uh, he'll, he'll, he'll lay him on you. Uh, do you have that Mama Leone thing? Now, wait a minute. Hold it a minute, George. And, you know, this is after Thanksgiving. And I don't know whether you've ever been in Mama Leone. Have you ever been in Mama Leone? I want to tell you. I mean, that is sybaritic. I mean, I'm very serious about it. Mama Leone is one of the most sybaritic restaurants I have ever been in. Now, you know what sybaritic means, don't you? Well, uh, it, it really is. And I, I, it's a, this is a kind of a goofy time to put on a commercial for a sybaritic restaurant the day after Thanksgiving. But <laughs> it's on the schedule. You get it, friend. <laughs> you suppose there live anywhere across this fabulous country a family that has never eaten at Mama Leone's? Maybe there is. And don't you feel sorry for them? Never heard the noise and laughter of our nightly crowd? Never saw their kids light up at the very color and excitement of our decor? Never saw our statues? Never saw our endless wine cellar? And not only that, they probably never saw a parade of food like Mama serves. Oh, sure, they've had Italian food before, but so what? They haven't had Mama's antipasto. They haven't had the cheeses and rich hot bread and the enormous desserts that Mama serves. And finally, they never, ever had main courses that everything else was built around. We seriously suggest if you have a pathetic friend who's never been to Mama Leone's, change his life. Make a reservation for him immediately and let him see what a great Italian restaurant can be like. Take him to Mama Leone's, where strong appetites are met and conquered. Mama Leone's, 239 West 48th Street, Judson 65151. I just wish they had said Mama Leone. <laughs> oh, Mama Mia. Uh, by the way, speaking of sybaritic events, just exactly one week from today, the 1st of December, between 2 and 6 p.m., I'm going to make a personal appearance at the Book House, 218 East Front Street in Plainfield. You'll be there. That is an order. Next Friday, between 2 and 6, the Book House, 218 East Front Street, Plainfield, New Jersey. And I'll be there with pen in hand. Bump, bump, bump. You know, speaking of bump, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just thinking, you know, I, I got a Thanksgiving story I shouldn't tell you, but I will. It's kind of gruesome. <laughs> it really is. Uh, but uh, when I think of that, that hippopotamus, I think of the turkeys. I've had my problems with turkeys. In fact, I've, I, I once appeared in one in Broadway. I mean, when you, when you really have close contact with a turkey. Hey, you know, a turkey's a mean bird. I mean, a turkey isn't that friendly bird that you think he is. No, he is not. And you know another thing about turkeys? I bet you don't know this about turkeys. Anybody who's ever lived in Indiana knows something about turkeys because Indiana's a great turkey-growing state. And one of the most interesting things about turkeys is that the turkey is very difficult in one way to raise. 
Are you curious what that way is? Well, he is probably one of nature's most nervous birds. I'm serious. You know what you, know what you can do to a turkey? Uh, or a flock of turkeys is a very strange thing. If you take a flock of turkeys, you know, they flock. And so there may be, you know, 15 or 20 or 100 turkeys. And if something happens, like say if a dog gets in the middle of these turkeys, I mean some mean dog gets in and attacks one of the turkeys, and, you know, the whole big thing, they go, you know, they and they flop their wings, and they, 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 they rise up off the air. Have you ever seen a turkey fly? And, you know, at night they live in trees. These turkeys will be in, in these tremendous trees. Well, if a turkey is scared, he is very prone to die of a heart attack. Did you know the turkeys literally simply die of fright constantly? So a guy's whole flock will just die because some, uh, you know, some guy drove past and blew the horn. Yeah, that's right. That's absolutely true. I am not inventing it. And, and, uh, and this has happened to many a guy has gone down the drain, like for, you know, for six months he's been raising turkeys for Thanksgiving, when all of a sudden some clown goes by with a big Buell air horn, and the turkeys are all sitting around, you know, turkeying around, whatever it is turkeys do, you know, they walk. They go... They have a curious humming sound, too. They... You hear them, these are waves of sound. Well, you know, here, here these turkeys are walking around making that sound and plucking away at the corn. When all of a sudden, ooh, off goes that horn. And they just keel over. One blast of the horn, the guy's wiped out. You know, back, with, back he goes to the insurance company to work. <laughs> He's done. The turkey business is over for the years. <laughs> He's at it. Well, <laughs> you didn't know about turkeys, did you? Well, that's what happens to them. Well, see, I, 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 uh, you know, I, I, I don't, uh, I, I don't put down the animals. But uh, sometimes when you get involved with really strange animals, you, you, uh, you, you come away with a different view uh, of the animal world. Now, I don't know whether you've had much close contact with a hippopotamus. You know, one thing. You know what a hippopotamus will do? You know, the hippopotamus sweats blood. Do you know that? Well, it isn't really blood. It, he, he sweats and he exudes a, a, a kind of, uh, uh, a, well, it's a kind of sweat, really. It's a, it's an, uh, a sort of a liquid he exudes out of the pores of the skin. But it, in certain types of hippopotami, at certain times, it's blood red. <laughs> it's a strange animal. And, and he can be vicious. A hippopotamus can be a very dangerous animal, extremely dangerous. In fact, even more dangerous in many ways than the uh, rhino. Dangerous animal and tough, and they get bad eyesight. Fantastic hearing, and they can swim like a fish. And they walk on the bottom of the water. They actually walk on the bottom. In other words, a hippo will walk into the river, and instead of swimming out and diving, he just walk in the river, and the water just comes up, covers him up, and he just keeps walking. And he'll walk out to the middle of the river. And just walk on the bottom, just like he's walking on the on the on the ground. And graze. They will graze on the bottom. They they're you know vegetarian. They walk around. They eat the eat the weeds on the bottom of the river. And uh, he grazes. And it's fantastic lungs. He'll stay under for you know, like two weeks. It seems like, see. And then all of a sudden he'll just slowly drift up, and he'll blow a little a uh, uh, little spume into the air, and he'll take a snort. You hear him snorting. In fact, I remember one time uh, standing on a hill. Uh, this was in East Africa, 
And there were about, oh, maybe 20 or 25 hippos down in this river, winding along below me, see? And you could see them rising once more. You see this little ripple. But what you could hear, you could, you, you could hear the snort. You just hear it. He makes a... And, and, and that's his way. You know, he's got these big nostrils. He's got big snorkel pipes, you know. He's got another big snort of air. And then he's gone and down he goes again. And then, then another thing about hippos, when they walk around in the mud, uh, they love mud. And the reason they love mud is because um, mud keeps their skin damp when they're out of the water. See, they love mud. And he's sloshing around the gooey mud. And you hear his feet. And, and all around him are these, these birds. These, the, there's a certain group of birds that live off hippos. And the hippo will walk up on the, on the ground or the mud. So he just stand in the mud, and he'll work his way down into the mud until finally you can just barely see his head sticking out of the mud. He's sunk in the mud now, you know? This is not water, it's mud. And then he opens his mouth wide. And there he is. He's got a great, it's like a great big mouth sticking out of the mud. Well, then what happens is these birds fly in his mouth and pick his teeth. <laughs> oh, there's an animal that's got the world by the... You know what, you know? He just lays there in the mud, and the birds come along and pick his teeth. And, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a great relationship, you know? <laughs> now, why do they pick his teeth? Well, you know, he gets all kinds of weeds stuck in his teeth, you know? Yeah, that's right. He's got a few little clams get in there, you know, and these birds come along. And he's got teeth, you know, roughly the size of bowling pins. So, you know, he needs a lot of tooth picking, you know? And then... And these big old birds come in. Yeah, they're big birds. They're not little birds. They're big old birds come and sit right in his mouth, you know, and work away there. Three or four of them will be working around a hippo. And he's just sitting there. Then that when he, he's going to close his mouth, see, he lets him know. He goes, and, and the birds fly out, clamp his mouth. So he said, clunk. You hear the teeth clamp down. <laughs> you always expect some bird, you know, to get caught. And down goes the bird. And you know, a hippo, he loves to eat a whole loaf of bread. I don't know why I'm telling you this. He's <laughs> esoteric about hippos. But you, nothing makes a hippo happier, see. when you If, if you ever run into a hippo, uh, like you're coming home from the A&P, see, and somebody's hippos got away, and, and uh, he's mad. You know, they get real mad. And they bite. You know, the hippo bites. And uh, he comes along with a big mouth open, and you've got this, uh, you know, this loaf of Wonder Bread under your arm. Well, you just shove the Wonder Bread in this trap, and he's going to be happy in a clan. He's going to like that, see? Just shove it right in there. He eats the whole loaf. Just one. Lump. Goes down like a marshmallow. It's like that. Well, then uh, he may leave you alone. Long enough for you to get down to the subway. Uh, but, uh... <laughs> so, uh, that's the only thing that will stop a hippo. You know, unless you've got yourself a 3006. And that won't stop no hippo. No 3006. No, you need at least a 50 caliber. Twin. Uh, flexible. Twin 50. That may stop him. But even that, you know, he keeps moving just out of sheer meanness. But, uh, nevertheless, uh, 